0: Now you get to stare at me for 30 minutes instead of those cute babies and, and twins, right? Their first two are twins. That's a great way to start, you know, to be baptized into the joys of parenthood. Wow, that was, that was incredible. And, and I love being a part of a church where we value the home and we value your families and we want to come around you. We want to be a support to you in the role of discipling your kids because it starts in the home. The church is a place that, that is there to support, but ultimately it starts with family and it starts with mom and dad and grandparents and, and aunts and uncles. So I'm again, very glad that we get to celebrate that here every year. So one of my favorite things to do as a parent is to read to my kids. Actually, I really enjoy spending time reading them books, and they all have their different kinds of books they enjoy. Milo, he likes dinosaurs, Pokemon, or alligators. And he especially loves when alligators and and crocodiles and dinosaurs are eating things. So that's uh, that's one thing that I read with him. And then my little one, she loves princesses and, and books that just get to talk about, you know, that fairy tale story. And my oldest, Hannah, she actually has started reading on her own. Yeah, it's awesome, but it's weird because she's growing up, right? I'm, I'm seeing these babies up here, and I'm like, that was my Hannah. Now she's older and almost double digits, and she's reading this book. And maybe you've heard of it called Diary of a Wimpy Kid. You have anyone? Yes. In, in, in direct... Uh, challenge of her. My son made his own little book called Diary of a Football Kid, which very much bothered her. And uh, so she's been reading Diary of a Wimpy Kid. And occasionally she'll be like, dad, can you read me some? And I'll go and I'll read and I'll spend time uh, uh, just going through the different chapters. There's one thing I noticed very quickly. One, how the world has changed for kids. And our world is very, very different. But the other thing is the stereotypes that you see of the home. And the idea of the home with mother and father, it tends to be the same no matter where you go. Whether you're watching something on TV or cartoons or on a university campus or, or, or even in a book like The Diary of a Wimpy Kid and it's the image of the father and the mother and usually the father is aloof or, or unengaged or or very much unaware of what is happening in the kid's life, and then you have the mother who seems to be the one who's more engaged, the one who's more leading, and the one who's more uh, the facilitator of the family, and, and so I think about that, whether reading the diary of a wimpy kid or watching something on TV, it just seems that uh, this has become more of a trend in how people see the mother and the father. And so, in thinking about this, manhood and being a woman and womanhood, what does that even look like? What does it look like to be a man? What does it look like to be a woman? In generations past, this used to be a lot simpler. Now it tends to be a little more confusing. It, there tends to be a little more tension or, or even a hostility when it comes to norms and, and what man and woman are intended to be. Maybe in the past, generations past, they would say, well, a man should look more like, uh, like John Wayne. You know, they should be more gritty and tough and and they should be more, you know, intense and and someone who doesn't have a lot of emotion. If you're impressed that I know about John Wayne, it's because I read about him in history books, actually. So, uh, okay, I'm sorry, I'm sorry for all the guests here with the babies. I apologize, I'm much nicer usually. But the thing is this, we would attach to something we were familiar with and say, well, maybe something like that. And, And when I was growing up, there was a song that was very popular on the radio, and it's called I'm a Barbie Girl. You know, and and I won't sing it completely, but I'm a Barbie. Okay, I'm not endorsing that song, but but so often it's like, well, men should be like John Wayne, and and women should be more like Barbie, and and you hear these these stereotypes, and in so many ways, these narrow views ha- have created their own problems. Because men are so much more than. Supposed to be like a John Wayne and, and women so much more than being like a, like a, like a Barbie. And, and so I think about us and I think about our world and, and it's only caused more questions. In so many good ways, this generation has challenged those stereotypes because I believe they become harmful in a lot of ways. And, and, and in some ways, the John Wayne type of uh, life or manhood, it, it can create something like a toxic masculinity. And so often, if we say, well, we want to be like a Barbie, per se, it can create in itself that someone, a woman, should be known more for how they look than who they are and the character and substance of themselves. And so in our attempt to deconstruct these unhelpful stereotypes, we've created even bigger problems in our world. What what's gender norms? And we've created a society that, that doesn't seem to see the difference and uniqueness between a man and a woman. And we treat man and woman like interchangeable parts. And Sally, this has left the next generation even more horribly confused. And so we're going to answer the question today, where should we look for solid answers on these important matters, and how is a biblical man and a biblical woman, how are we supposed to be or live or behave? And so let's start with the first question. Where should we look for solid answers? I believe that we are supposed to look at the timeless and timely Word of God. I believe that the Word of God that we possess is relevant and real and applicable to our lives. And I believe our point of reference is God's Word. It is right and it is true. And so I believe that's the initial place we start. And the other thing is, as we've been talking through this series, Church, Why Bother?, And that's a question we've been posing for the last four weeks. You know, what's the point of church? Why come together? Why gather? Why worship? Why have a moment where we can learn the word? Why have our kids engaged with children's ministry, learning, having mentors, guiding them in the word? Why do we get connected in smaller communities? What's the point of that? I mean, I could just stay at home and and watch someone online. I I could watch, I mentioned in first service, we could just stay home and and watch an individual by the name of Joel Osteen. And I heard this giant like, ooh, right? (laughs) But the whole point is we can stay home and not engage with a community. Why do we choose to come and be part of a faith community. And I believe a major reason is that God wants to form us and transform us into a gospel-oriented people where we can build up one another, where we can be accountable to one another, where we can serve one another with our gifts. I, I don't know how someone uh, has and lives this life without a, without a faith community to walk alongside them. In the so many obstacles of life, and so that question that we've been posing, uh, we believe that God has given us the church to help us even know what a biblical manhood and biblical womanhood looks like. And it all comes back to his truth. Like first uh, Timothy 3:15 says that the church is the pillar and support of truth. That this pillar and support is his bride that we know as Christ. And for us, it means that this is the best roadmap for our journey. And it will help guide us through this life. So today we're going to be digging into 1 Timothy chapter 2. You know, we've been working through 1 Timothy verse by verse. And today we're coming up to verses 8 through 15 of chapter 2, and this piece of scripture is going to be a dandy because it's riddled with things that we need to understand the context of the time, and Paul, I believe, the author, as he's writing this to the church of Ephesus, he paints a picture that goes completely against the worldly stereotypes for man and woman. And you'll see here that he invites the people to reject the false teachers of the culture on the topic of how men and women should behave. And we adopt a godly and holy perspective. But with this piece of scripture, it is not without controversy. (laughs) You know, in the church world, we make some jokes, right? Right? If you want to get people upset, talk politics, money, and male and female roles. I get to talk on one of those today. And we'll see afterwards if you still like me. But the thing is this. We're we're going to dig into this question. What should Christian men and women be known for? What should they be known for? Let's talk about the men first, because that's the first piece of scripture we're going to dig into. And men should be known for their spiritual passion. Men should be known for their passionate relationship with Christ and passionate pursuit of what he wants for their life. Look at verse eight. This is what it says. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting up holy hands without anger or quarreling. So if you hear here last week, we talked about why do we choose last to pray or middle to pray, that we should go to God first, and then here we have this exhortation that men in every place should pray lifting up holy hands, but then it attaches those two words at the end. Anger and quarreling. I don't think that's any surprise that those are the two words attached to a man, because men, our first emotion, usually isn't tears. It usually isn't okay. Let's sit down and process a Panera for an hour. Like we don't hold your hands and and, and say okay. Let's just talk this out. We tend to, and I'm, I'm making a broad statement, but we tend to default to anger. Am I wrong, ladies? Don't turn to your left or right. <laughs> okay, I see the men smiling and nodding. We 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 get mad. At times we punch doors or walls or you know we puff our chests. Men default their very first emotion, not just. Biblically, psychologically, we get angry, and we quarrel, and we fight. I think about the times I've been most mad. There could have been little itty-bitty solutions that that wouldn't have escalated things, but I chose to get mad, and I chose to, to try to fight or push. I remember at Bible college getting in a fight with my friend. Like, wait, we're studying to be pastors. He's going to the mission field. I want to be a pastor. And and we were getting mad on the soccer field, and and we started shoving each other and bumping chests. Oh, you want to fight? Huh? We started talking. And I'm thinking, I'm like, what was I thinking? But we have these moments where we tend to fall into a place where we, we get mad. And so I don't think it's any surprise that scripture first talks about men and anger. You know, the Greek word for anger is this word, orgai. And that implies a violent emotion that comes as a result of unholy passions. So out of that violent emotion, where we we almost lose our mind, the result is unholy action. Yes, there is something that we call righteous anger, and I, and I believe that, and maybe one day we can talk a little bit about, about that. But most anger that we experience is unholy anger, is, is an emotion that, that takes us over. And we do things, we raise our voice, we got those scary eyes, and it's intimidating. And God tells us in his word that, that this will only lead to divisions to infighting, to fractured relationships. And so when he speaks to the church of Ephesus, which is a pagan city known for being very worldly, they're known for their their anger, their quarreling, their lusts, and it created tension. James 4.1 says this, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you. Is it not this? Your passions are at war within you. There's a war that's happening. And this was said 2,000 years ago, and it is nearly identical to what we are facing today. Men that are carried away, and the response first is anger, and, and we see here that, that our world, that we still haven't figured it out. Again, 2,000 years ago, men outside of Christ, it's, it's a life of unho- unholy appetites. Uh, people are perversely rewarded for competitiveness and hypersexuality. And this has produced a society of disunity, of covenant breaking, of exploitation of women, and it's destroyed families. Some of you, you have experienced that. Some of you have been carried away by that. It has produced quarrels within our church family. And in so many ways, it's led us to a place we are in our nation where men aren't being men They're being boys. And and that's one thing we gotta hear as a church. We got a lot of boys. We have very few men. We have a lot of people that are not following after God's will for their lives and God is telling us men to instead of anger, to pursue holiness. Instead of quarreling to lift up holy hands in prayer and bless one another. And he says in the beginning, pray. <laughs> they need to go and have divine intervention because they need God to help change those areas of their life. And so I believe that that Paul first talked and, and spoke to men because God has created distinction with male and female, and he wants the men to be in a leadership role in their homes. He wants them to lead their homes, and he's entrusted men to be stewards of the responsibility of leading their homes and their churches. And so I, I think that we need to hear that at times, that, that some of us, we need to answer that call, and, and we need to be engaged and focused on what God calls us to do as men. You know, then the next part of this, the next seven verses go into women. And this is an area where scholars have debated uh, for centuries, and there's questions about interpretation. And so that's what I want to preface this with, which is biblical context, To understand the time, the place, what's going on, because it's so key to understand the context of ancient Israel. I love this quote by Lauren Cunningham. She's the founder of YWAM Ministries, which is youth with a mission. She said, we should never judge a verse in isolation. Instead, we must look at the entire Bible to make a decision on individual issues. It's like the person, well, doesn't the Bible say this? Well, it does say that, but how we understand that concept is through the entirety of the Bible. We let Scripture interpret Scripture. So it can give us different layers of understanding of of what God is trying to say. And so what we see here on the second Second part of this is women should be known for their gospel substance. Women should be known for their gospel substance. 1 Timothy 2 verse 9 through 15 says this. Likewise also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel with modesty and self-control not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness with good works. Let a woman learn quietly and with submissiveness. I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority over men. Rather, she's to remain quiet. For Adam formed first and then Eve, and Adam was not deceived, but the woman was deceived and became a transgressor. Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness with self-control. So Paul, we see here, begins with the word likewise. That's very important because that's connecting what is to follow with what he just said about men. In other words, he's telling the church of Ephesus to reject the cultural stereotypes. And you need to remember at this time, in this region of Ephesus, it was, it was kind of a poppin' area. <laughs> it was one of those areas that was progressive, and, and how you appeared, and how you acted, that was something of huge value at this time. So when people focused more on how they were externally, they focused less on who they were spiritually. And so on the outside, there was a heavy focus on appearance, on beauty, on clothing, on style. And he'd say, no, 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 no. Be known, women, for your gospel substance. Don't just be merely known for the, the shallow and fading, fading beauty of clothes and style. And he's de- demanding them to understand that God has more of a depth that he desires for women of God. Now, it's important to understand here that what Paul is not saying is, hey, don't comb your hair. <laughs> what he's not saying is, is throw away your makeup. <laughs> you know, what he's not saying is we shouldn't care about style at all. That, that's not what he's saying. You know, I don't want us to make a pile of combs and, and, and makeup and, and all that stuff and, and burn it later. That's not what I'm saying. What, what he's saying here is that be known first for your gospel substance and understand that how we are externally is not exactly who we are. And, and that is only of limited value. And so people were placing their worth on how they were on the outside. And he's saying, man, there's so much more that I desire for you as women. And then he says in verse 9, he mentions the word uh, self-control. And and that's important because he he doesn't want the women of that time to think, I'm just a trophy wife. I'm just a woman that's on the side without value. No, he says, For your good works. You are to be known for your actions. And and that's deep and rich. And that is his desire that he was setting apart for the women at the time. But the question is, how do women, specifically women of Ephesus or Christian women more broadly, become known for their gospel substance? Like how, how how do women be known for this? And as men were challenged to lift up holy hands, to not have anger and quarreling, in verse 11 we see that women are challenged to be learners. And the implication here is that she is a disciple of Christ who is committed to learning the scriptures in order to properly understand the gospel uh, enough to apply it to her life. And so the goal is that she can understand and progress to her maximum potential in the knowledge of God's word. And so he says with this that there needs to be a type of attitude that women should have in learning. And the attitude should be one of humility. It should be one of soberness, of seriousness, equal to the call of discipleship. And it uses that term quietness or submissiveness. And, and I don't want us to take this the wrong way. Because what this word is in the Greek, it's Hezekiah. And the word Hezekiah is one that refers not to a blanket prohibitive don't talk policy against spoken expression. It's an attentiveness. And it's not about verbal silence. It's about exhibiting a peaceful and gentle attitude in learning. And so let's just go back to the time of Ephesus. In Ephesus, if you were a female, it was rare that you were educated. Actually, in a lot of those areas in ancient uh, ancient Mediterranean region, in some areas, it was prohibited for women to be educated. And so you have to understand that when Paul is declaring these things, that women could study and grow and learn and be present in the role of discipleship, this is completely countercultural. At this time, when Jesus had women that were prevalent and involved in his ministry, that was something that disturbed people. When Mary was sitting at his feet learning in the presence of men, and he was said no she's chose the right thing when martha was preparing and getting ready as a host christ did something in that moment that elevated women in a way that the ancient world had had never seen and paul is boldly declaring that christianity is neither misogynistic honoring men at the expense of women or it's or is it feminist Feministic, honoring women at the expense of men. And the scriptures clearly affirm that men and women, we are biologically different, but we're both honored equally. So the command given to God's people, as we see in Ephesians chapter six, is children honor your father and mother. Honor your father and mother side by side as the Bible communicates that both men and women are mutually and equally esteemed by God. And this is something that we need to understand here as a church. And then you get into, you know, we believe that the word of God says that there's certain areas in church office that God has set aside and destined for specific people. And so as we see, and we're going to study next week, there's an office and a position of elder. We just had Vince up here, and he spoke. He's one of our elders. Uh, I'm a pastor elder, and we have uh, Bill Coughlin, who's also an elder. And so you have these words that you see for the office of, of eldership and overseer and pastor. Those words are all synonymous. Overseer, pastor, elder, synonymous in the New Testament. And what we see in God's word is that God has set aside the role of elder and pastor in the teaching of God's word to, to man. And that God has set aside the teaching of God's word to the church as we gather here on a Sunday that God has the distinction that men would be preachers of the word. And, and so that's a question people will ask. Well, what, what is Paul restricting What is Paul saying in his word? And with the church, you know, leaders or or, or godly leaders, we're not supposed to be domineering, but we're supposed to be protectors and shepherds of the flock. And that's a lot of confusion that people uh, walk with in the church is, okay, what does this look like? How is this supposed to be? And, And so I was researching this week, Pew Research Center, and they were talking about different world religions. And this was very interesting to me. The research revealed when they were looking at different countries and the religions they possess, and the research revealed there was clearly a difference, a measurable difference in countries that were predominantly Christian. The research showed, and it was entitled Religion and Education Around the World, and it showed that countries that embrace Christianity and embrace Christian values provide the greatest educational opportunities for women around the world. And so no matter where you were in ancient Ephesus or today, we're called and we're challenged to reject cultural stereotypes and understand specifically in this point that women are supposed to be known for gospel substance. Now we get into another part of this. And this is probably one of the most confusing pieces of scripture in the Bible. And that's verse 15. And we're going to put it up here for you guys to see. It says this, Yet she will be saved through childbearing if they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control. And so you read this, we just had a bunch of cute babies on stage. It, does that mean women are saved because they have babies? The, I know some incredible godly women who, who couldn't have children. And, and there's been women over the generations who have passed away in childbirth. Does that mean that's our, the road for women to be saved? No, absolutely not. Actually, last week we talked about we are saved by grace through faith. We are saved by Christ alone. And and so when you see here, and and how that I would interpret it, is Paul most likely is referencing childbearing because it is a universal example of the difference between male and female. These are God-given different roles between male and female. And so when Paul says women will be saved through childbearing, he means that by not seeking a man's role, they'll be more likely to remain in the heart attitude that God has designed them for. But we, whenever we lean on the first part of this verse, it is contingent on a woman's willingness to abide in the four virtues. It's important and contingent if they continue in faith and love and holiness and self-control, if they continue in these fruits of the Spirit that we have as Christ's followers. And so you think about the call, this beautiful text for men and women, and in a lot of ways it's to reject stereotypes that our culture's, culture places on us. And these false identities and just the confusion and the lack of understanding. And we have to understand that the gospel transforms us to be what God has designed us to be with our unique gifts and our spiritual passions. But it all comes back to this. You know, I had a friend that uh, he was very gifted. He was a very gifted athlete, one of the most gifted athletes I've ever played with. But he had issues with authority. (laughs) He had issues with coaches and teammates. He had all the issues there. And, And so this person who had all this talent struggled to follow. I found this quote, he who aspires to leadership fail because they have never learned to follow. Ultimately, God has created and destined the church for a certain way and we all are followers of the true shepherd. And as God has created distinction, male and female, and he's created leadership, and how God designed it with male to lead church in the home, that does not take away from the fact that God, in the eyes of his word and the eyes of himself, has created male and female with unity. He's created us to be seen, and equally honored. So before we close, I just wanna pray for us as we leave. I've ran a little long. (laughs) That happens, tends to happen. But That's what happens when you have cute babies on stage. So let me pray for us really quick. God, right now, I just wanna thank you so much for giving us your word. And one thing I love about your word is we have to understand the full scope of it. And in this world, there's so many false realities that have leave us, left us shattered and broken. Father, I pray that we embrace a lives of faith. We embrace lives that we trust in Jesus. And we will have our lives powerfully transformed by the gospel and become the men and women that he has designed us to be. And God, I pray again over the families who have dedicated their children this morning. They've dedicated before you. They've dedicated before their church to be that example, to be that standard for them, to not expect the church to disciple them, but for them to disciple them first. Again, thank you so much for this morning. We thank you and we pray this all in your name. Amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org to introduce yourself today.